Hey, Richard Gottlieb. Miss Burns. How you doing? I'm doing really well. We got a great guest today. And, we, and, and this one is from the UK. I know. We, As I've said before, we are becoming the international podcast in the toy industry. And we are delighted to welcome Darren Garnum, who is the CEO and founder of Toykido, a new kind of toy company, which we'll get into. But... He has an amazing history in entertainment and kids, and I'm just going to let him start to tell us in a minute. This is the Playground Podcast, and we are brought to you by Global Toy Experts, the toy guy, and marketing and media agency, Chizcom. And Darren, let's just jump right in. Give us your amazing history. (laughs) Christopher and Richard, what a brilliant way to spend a Monday afternoon. That's a great introduction. God, where do I start? Uh, I'm going to do it in two minutes. Otherwise, it it could be dull for people listening. I was very fortunate. I I did a sports science degree, so nothing scientific, sporty what I'm doing now, other than I do have a treadmill behind me while we're talking. (laughs) I try try to run when I'm not on calls. I I was very fortunate. A a gentleman called Al Khan brought me into this business. Uh, at LCI UK that then became Four Kids. I mean, what an amazing place to learn about licensing. Al having bought Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! and various other brands out of Asia um, into the West. I, at the time, I actually joined his legal and finance team. <laughs> the guy I was working for in the UK, Clive Hill, one day said to me, do you know what? I think you'd do better in sales than finance. <laughs> and, and, and he's right. Later on in my career, when I, when I interviewed at Universal Studios with Vince and the team, they, they asked me, what's my one kind of default or, or what am I? And I, and I said, I'm, I'm allergic to spreadsheets. <laughs> as, as, long as, you, as long as you make it visual and fun, I'll do it really quickly. But if there's lots of Excel, then there's somebody out there better than me. So no, I did, the, I did a few years. I did five years with Al and then... I love startups. I, I love the journey. And, and really, LCI was a startup at the time. There were four of us in London. Uh, we went on to grow a business that had 4,000 licensees across our regions with Pokemon. And then I joined a, another small startup looking after Central Eastern Europe. So I'm in my 20s and opening offices in, in Moscow and Kiev and looking after Poland and various other markets. And I didn't have kids at the time. Later on in my career, when I've had kids, I send them a postcard from everywhere I go. <laughs> and it's, it, well, it, you say, uh, it's kind of a mental reminder for myself of where I've been. It's like a, a postcard, it's like a postcard diary. And not a reminder that you have kids, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, there's, you know what? There's some great memories in there. Um, I mean, from, from my Eastern European experience, I went on to work at Moshi Monsters. And I mean, I used to travel with the, the founder of Moshi, Michael Acton Smith, a lot. And I've got postcards of doodles that he did on postcards for the kids oh, wow. when we were at New York Toy Fair or we nice. were in Sydney at Toys R Us back in the day. So there's some great memories there as well. Again, another startup. There were nine of us at Moshi Monsters. We grew it maybe too fast to 220 amazing toy deals with Spin Master and, and Vivid. We sold hundreds of millions of collectibles, trading cards with tops. And so up until 
that point in my career, I mean, I've really been 100% in licensing, licensing out. So <laughs> other people writing the guarantees, which, which we'll get onto as, we, as I run my own company. It's fun. <laughs> It's funny when it's your own money. And yeah. You're, and you're, and you're, it's not funny. <laughs> and from Mind Candy, I joined Universal Studios. Great experience. They were changing the, the business from working with global agencies to, to bringing it all back in-house. I ran Europe, Middle East, and Africa, and, and we had a remit to hire 100-plus people in 12 months. And again, a, a great experience and to, to work within the Comcast machine and, and understand how those big businesses work. I think yeah, I quickly realized that I like working for startups more than I do big corporations. So then joined MTW, distributing for Thinkway Toys. That was the, the last five years up until Toykido. And, and I can say working with Thinkway, I mean, I've worked with Moose and Spin and Zuru and MGA and Hasbro Mattel and all on the other side of the table, but to, to really be working closely with a toy company like Thinkway for a number of years, I mean, that is the best education in toy you could wish for in terms of structure and distribution and doing things correctly for big box office movies, working with the Minions and Star Wars. You mentioned just now Toy Keto, your, your latest venture, you have described that as a new kind of toy company. Yeah. Can you tell us about Toy Keto and what is a new kind of toy company? Speed is probably the thing under our bonnet. Flexibility, speed, and being able to react. What, what I wanted in the DNA of our, of our company was that we'd be able to answer questions whenever they would be needed. We'd find routes to market quicker than I've seen anybody else do. As an example, Richard, I mean, we, we signed our Among Us deal a few months ago, and we signed our Netflix deal a month ago. Now, we'll, we'll have product in market for the Netflix movie late August, September. Wow. So that's, that's from actually signing the contract to concepting, to tooling, to pre-production, to shipping and on shelf in a little over six months. Well, I hate to tell you, but that is truly old school toy going back to the 50s and 60s, <laughs> which we lost track of. And <laughs> now the pendulum is swung all the way back. And you're completely right. Being able to capitalize on trends while they're hot and on the way up is really important because in the past, I think a lot of people have been timid. Nickelodeon typically didn't license till after they'd been in the market for a year. And that's not the way the business works these days. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. And, and I know that from, I mean, Leon, I know that from being a dad. I mean, <laughs> I, I've, got, I've got a two, we'll, we'll ignore the two-year-old for now. He's in, he's in Hello, Dougie, Pepper, Pigland. But, but, but my older two who are eight and 10, you know, what's fascinating is for, for years now, I've been hearing that the toy industry is getting younger. And it's correct, but it doesn't mean that a 10-year-old still doesn't want a toy, but they want a toy that's there when they're in the moment of what they're playing or what they're immersed in. They don't, to your point, Christopher, they, they don't want a toy six months after they've actually got into the thing because they're already moving through it or they're merging their experiences. 
I would give you the moniker Fireball Roberts, but you would probably not be aware of Fireball Roberts, who was an early 20th century race car driver. But the name, the name seems apropos. Uh, and I think it's brilliant what, what you're saying and really important in, in that speed has very much become the mantra of the 21st century. How do you make that happen so, so quickly? I, we don't want you to give away secrets. Yes, we do. For me, it's spotting brands and working with brand owners that will allow Toikido and our our team to have a bit more flexibility and trust in what we're doing. So with with the folks at Innersloth and Dual World for Among Us, I mean, we've worked so closely with them in terms of designing, 3D modeling their characters, co-designing packaging. So really being integral And that's what I want to do moving forward, is working with studios or working with licensors that are open to a more flexible nature rather than the 10-day turnaround windows that are required. And listen, I, I completely respect that big studios have big processes to do. What we've proven with a, with a lean team is that I mean, we'll get product to market quick and we'll get it not just to a market, but we'll be in 50 markets for Among Us. So you're um, doing like cultural and aesthetic integration with the company that you're working with. In other words, instead of trying to figure out what they want, you are integrating your work with them. I'm going to steal that, Richard. For my, for, <laughs> <laughs> I've, been, I've, been looking, I've been looking for an updated mission statement. And that, that, that's better than the one we've done. <laughs> I'll tell you what, this goes back to Moshi Monsters. And I'll send this round to the devs that I worked with at Moshi. When I first came in, they really didn't like what I stood for in terms of taking their baby, which was a digital asset, and bringing it into the physical space. They weren't that keen. And, and I understand because they, they felt real ownership of this digital asset. And it took me, a, it took me a 12, 15 months to gain the trust that what I was going to produce was good and they were going to be proud of it. And 15 months later, those developers had our little collectibles or our plush on top of their screens. Oh, cute. That's great. And, and they loved that we brought their brand to life. Now, fast forward five, six years now, and, and actually that, that probably still holds true. My chief product guy is a guy called Jeff Hall. Jeff has been in the gaming space forever. And he's got real respect of other people's art styles and gaining trust that we're, we're going to produce things that the owners of that art can be proud of. As we've developed it, and I hope that the, the Among Us and will be our calling card now for other stuff that we're, we're going to do. How do you see licensing changing? From my perspective, I see you're sourcing Among Us, which is a social game. It's not a movie. It's not a TV show. It's a different source. And it's got a very huge and growing audience, but you have to be fast to market. So how is the whole licensing processing evolving to reflect these new sources for IP and these new needs to bring stuff to market in a timely manner? Secretly, I'm hoping that the rest of licensing isn't so we so so we can come in and steal a march. Um, (laughs) (laughs) the challenge is where platforms and where consumption is has changed so dramatically 
And it will be really interesting coming out of this crazy last 12 months that we've been through that so many movies have been held back because of the, not necessarily the, the necessity for a movie to need to be on screens to drive consumer products or to drive product. I mean, they've been held back because of the need to drive revenue because of the cost of the movie. Right. And this is why I'm, I'm enjoying the journey with Netflix at the moment, because it, it still is a little bit unknown. Let's go there now. So you mentioned hmm. Among Us, which has really this year emerged as a major, major social gaming property. And you just mentioned Netflix. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing with Netflix and, and what you're doing with Among Us? We're a global master for both licensors. Um, obviously, for the Among Us, the inner sloth who, who own Among Us. So we're the master, global master for, for their toy and, and other categories. And then for Netflix, the same for their movie that's coming out in November called Back to the Outback. The next platform we're looking at for IP would, would be YouTube. And the reason I say this is, again, I, I, I keep drilling back in where my own household is spending the majority of their time. And it is either on a device, unfortunately or fortunately for, for Epic, my, my boys are now deep into Fortnite in the last three months. <laughs> Or they're on YouTube or they're on Netflix. Like they're, they're not watching traditional, they, like they don't ask to go to the movies, even when the, the movies are there. Why would they want to schedule a time to go somewhere where they can just access it immediately if they want to? That's really where we're looking for our global opportunities. To your point, Richard, it's in their households. Like the likes of Netflix, you can have the conversation and you know that it's going to be, you know where it's going to be exactly at the at that point in time, globally, where their footprint allows at the moment, which is 200 million plus accounts, and can only grow one way. Let's just go to Among Us. Can you just give a quick synopsis of what that property is all about? It's a phenomenally social game set on a ship. A spaceship, right? Set on a spaceship, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, and, and actually a huge update coming later this month. And it allows multiple players to play at the same time. So... Again, I keep leaning into my own family, I'm sorry, but during this lockdown period, my, my kids have used it as a tool to communicate with their friends. So they've, it's allowed them to be in the same environment, um, trying to work out who the imposter is amongst the crewmates. There's a lot of fun in it. What kind of a toy will this be? What are you making? If you drill it down into what a toy could be, there's a lot of collectability within the game. So... The crewmates can dress in um, different outfits, uh, different hats, and they have pets. Um, so that allows us to, to look at the collectability nature. It allows us to look at the action figure, albeit a very cool vinyl versus something you might see from another toy company, which is uh, more, more, more standard in that action figure aisle. And plush. I mean, they always say, is it plagiarism is the greatest form of... Flattery. Flattery, thank you. <laughs> uh, and, and I mean, I'm I'm pleased that we're we're doing what we are because there is a there's a there's a lot of fakes in the market, and that that's really come from the hotness of where this brand is. And what's great is those fakes are all over the world. I mean, we've seen them from from Russia to to Mexico, and now the official product will be coming out, and so we can really lean into informing the community. And, this is a good part of those digital products is that there's a very strong community 
of fans there to tap into. At the back end of last year, it was not only the the most downloaded games at over half a billion downloads, but the most watched content on Twitch. If you again, my kids have been watching fan based cartoons on YouTube. What's great with an IP like this, and really the way that digital brands think, particularly up-and-coming studios, is embracing that community um, rather than just taking it all down, like really from a content perspective, unless it's doing damage to the brand. But if it's fun and it's living the ideals of the brand, it's all good fun and exposure. Don't you think there's almost a tribal quality to some of the brands in which you, you really want to fly that flag let people know that you remember that same tribe. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. If you look at any platform, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, I mean, that TikTok, I mean, it's human nature. You want to show off. We had it back at Moshi that really it was a, it was a young kid's way of coming in and showing off their room uh, and showing their characters. And, and the same with my kids with Among Us or with Fortnite. They, they want to show off that they've got, such and such a hat that's quite rare or they've got an outfit that's quite rare but that's a community thing i mean that's you know, I'm, I'm we're all we're all consumers when you've got great artwork behind you i've got artwork behind me and we're, we're all there wanting to show show off in a in a in a nice way i guess darren you mentioned netflix and and the movie uh, Back to the Outback, which I believe is an animated feature. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, I'll try. I'm not too sure what I'm allowed to say and what I'm not. With Just say it all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always it's, a forgiveness it, it, rather than permission kind of guy anyhow. <laughs> I, I am too, unless I've got my NDA in front of me. Um, <laughs> It's a great story um, set in Australia of some great characters, so Australian creatures that go on this crazy and wild adventure. I've watched it twice now. It's funny. I mean, the, the talent that is in it, they've got Tim Minchin, who I'm a huge fan of. Tim's last album was phenomenal. So Tim's in it, the, um, Isla Fisher. Um, so they've got some really strong Aussie talent as well. So we're concentrating on the core characters. We're bringing out a limited range in terms of a master toy, as, as you will. So, so we're bringing out some plush and we're bringing out some sort of action figure collectibles uh, and then some feature plush. So it, it's a tight line, really based on those key core characters within the movie. But it's a lot of fun. And that sounds like more what we might call a traditional licensing approach, which is taking the characters off the screen and bringing them into the child's play. But what we've been talking about is really a seismic shift in how kids are consuming entertainment because they really want to be part of it. And we've got all the Eugen content and we've got things like like Among Us. We've got Roblox. We've got Fortnite. We've got even even Halo or anything that can be played in real time with other people so that there is a social component of entertainment now that didn't exist before rather than just passive consumption. And I'm curious as to how you look at addressing that type of engagement when you're designing a toy line. If I'm honest with you, my ideal solution and scenario here would be for the products of Back to the Outback to be in the kids' hands the night that it launches on TV. 
Now, there's obviously so many issues with that in terms of <laughs> you have to wait for the kids to know the characters. There are some fundamentals of our industry that are difficult to move because they are fundamentals of life as well. The, the, the kids have to know the characters and fall in love with them, understand the story and the play and the plot. There's a few ways that we've been discussing with Netflix. Could we do something different? And they're being discussed at the moment because as a platform, is there some flexibility to do something? With some of those other things you mentioned, I mean, the, the nice thing about a, a product going back into the, into the digital world is you can put codes or redemptions in product that really allow those things to live simultaneously. Another space I'm very interested in is the NFT space, which obviously is blowing up at the moment. You would have seen Tops have done something with Garbage Pail Kids where you can now buy digital cards. Right. Now, from a toy perspective, I'm really interested in, is there something we can do? And we're, we're investigating this potentially with our own IP of, is there a toy that you could bring out that has a collectability, but also comes with an NFT on the blockchain where you have a dual collectability? And if you want to keep the physical and trade the digital or vice versa, that you can do that. Now, that's really where the two worlds will collide in a big way in terms of people, people's consumption of goods. I think that's inevitable. We're reading a lot about NFT in the art world right now and the amazing prices people are paying for, for a, digital, a digital piece. So yeah. it will doubtless trickle down to kids at some point as the costs come down and as the technology advances. And I think those IP that speak to like a generational customer at the moment. So, I mean, Garbage Pal Kids is perfect because I collected it as a, as a kid. Sure. So I, I would see the digital assets uh, and purchase. That would be fine. And then obviously Tops are trying to reach a new consumer now. Um, and there's some, there's some great products coming out from um, um, Super Impulse and various other people around, around that. There's still a lot of unknowns in that space. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you, we, at Toykeeda, we put together this brain trust, for want of a better phrase, where we have somebody from the music business, somebody from Hollywood, somebody that owns a gaming studio, and somebody that is, is, is ex-YouTube. We meet regularly, virtually at the moment, but it's waves like we're having at the moment, which is the NFT space, which has been around for a while, I mean, four or five years, if not longer. Right. But as you say, I mean, that piece of artwork that's sold for $69 million a couple of weeks ago. I mean. <laughs> my, my concern long-term with NFTs is, like with any technology-based platform, it changes. I mean, if, if those who can remember uh, the early days of videotapes and how it was beta and something else and, and you had a changeover in the technology and the old software wasn't workable anymore. And so it just would seem that it, this could be susceptible to changes in, in technology. It's a fair point. I mean, my, my bigger challenge with them at the moment is just the environmental elements with cryptocurrency and with NFTs. Oh, yeah. and, okay. um, and, I, and I think there's a, one of the things that we've been researching is not an environmental offset because... If you've done the damage already, offsetting it, I don't know, it doesn't really... We'll talk about recyclable plastic in a second. So I've, I've got a bee in my bonnet about that at the moment. 
but it, it it's can we find a solution for to do an NFT where we're actually using solar power now rather than using power and planting trees? We're researching that. I mean, it we might not even go into the space, but this is the sort of thing I want as a business at Toykido. I want us to be at the forefront of investigating doing these things. I mean, we own a few NFTs as a business. I want to know I want to know about it. If it's not going to work, if it doesn't work, fine. But I'd rather we try to break it or be involved rather than be overly cautious and not be. I wonder if there's a way to to interpret the experience of an NFT in a toyetic way that actually gives the child the experience without all of the underlying stuff and like like a toy cell phone or something like that because that's typically what we've seen in the toy industry when you have an adult concept <laughs> it's really been turned into a toy for children it's very true you know you're absolutely right i mean my my bertie my two-year-old was playing with a a phone with five buttons this morning looking at me thinking he was calling me uh uh-huh. And I don't know if that's good or bad, because it's clearly he's seen I use a phone enough for him to understand what it is. <laughs> you mentioned recyclable plastic in, in sort of passing before. Sustainability is a big issue and a growing issue in the toy industry. So you said you yeah. wanted to get into that. So here's your chance. <laughs> yeah. So here's my take on it. I mean, what we're trying to, what we're trying to do as a business from, from end to end is make everything as recyclable as possible and be produced um, in the best means possible, whether it be from recycled goods or, or reducing waste during the packaging. I mean, one of, one of the challenges of our industry is obviously the drop tests that we have to do, the way things have to be packaged to go into some markets. So still you can do as much as humanly possible, but there, there will be a barrier at some point. But one of the things that I've been investigating, actually with a, with a good friend of mine, Helena Mansell, who I worked with back at 4Kids, who is now the founder of Products of Change. A lot of people are talking about how plush is being made from recycled water bottles or whatever it might be. This is one of the things I was talking to her last week. It's, I, I, I love that we're recycling plastic into plush or other things. But what happens when my three-year-old doesn't want the bear anymore? <laughs> Where do we recycle the bear? Because it's still plastic bottles. Right. So, so she's been she's been looking at that as a solution of how you could then use those goods to be recycled into books to go into libraries. Oh, cool. Now, exactly. For me, I'm like, I, that's awesome. If, I, if we can find an end-to-end solution where we manufacture something, it has a play value. We are aiming to manufacture stuff that will be kept Right. To, to be to be a quality again, I, I lean back into Thinkway. I mean, in my office here, I've got their Buzz Light years. They're handed down because they're made so well. You know, I I really think you just hit on one of the secrets to all of this issue is for the toy industry to make products that people will want to keep. They'll want to pass down. They'll they'll you know, and then they won't put it into the the garbage stream. And, and but but I wanted to uh, ask you another question. I want to go back to what you we talked about right at the beginning of our interview, which is your new company, Toy Keto. And I'm interested in what you confronted have confronted this year in terms of a supply chain that is in knots, the absence of trade shows. Have you confronted some obstacles and, and how have you confronted them? I guess being 
new has almost been to our advantage in some ways because we didn't have infrastructure that had to move around these issues. We've been building the infrastructure on top of these issues. My, actually, I won't say the phrase because we'll keep it clean, but my Irish mother's got a very good phrase of, 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 of me in terms of if I, if I fall into something, I come up smelling of roses. <laughs> um, so she, she uses the word lucky a lot, which is, I'll, I'll go with that. So we, in terms of, we haven't really hit too many of those speed bumps. I mean, we, we will, obviously, as product starts to, to move forward now into the production and shipping and the logistical. And this is where uh, on the top, we're sort of saying we're, we're a new type of toy entertainment company. And that's absolutely true because of the speed we're doing things the way that we will, if we sign a brand and they don't have style guides or packaging, we'll do it. And, and we'll give it back to you that your other licensees can use. That's cool. Let's all just collaborate and move quickly. But there still are things that you have to, you have to use the structure that's there. And that's if you're manufacturing in China or India or Vietnam, I mean, the product still has to get to the consumer in some way. Our underlying infrastructure of the toy industry is is still industrial age. It makes it challenging. But I like the, your concept of, of integrating yourself with these companies. I, I really can see how that would speed things up. You know what it is, Richard? I looked at, I mean, I looked at the licensors that I've worked with over the years and, and what is it that we have supplied our partners with to manufacture? 3D turnarounds, style guides, assets. Now, if we're part of that process then immediately you're moving quicker because you're not waiting constantly for that next asset drop. I mean, it does need a lot of communication and a lot of trust. But, but once that trust starts to build, and, and again, I mean, when, when our first product comes out, but it's killer. I mean, and that's not me being biased. That's actually, that's my 10-year-old boy, Freddie, critiquing the hell out of the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and, and telling me, you know, that hat wouldn't be with that character. And that's wrong. And this is... So it's um, and it's tapping into the fan base as well. I mean, this is this is the bit that I love. And and again, we go back to communities. You bring up something that I I, I always like to reinforce, which is that brands are communities. And I don't care if it's your car, your shoes, your durable goods, your toys, and children, young people behave in exactly the same way. They are the Among Us fans. They're the Pokemon fans. And it's it's a marker and an identity for them at a place in time and in their lives. And I think that understanding that makes marketing and product development much more efficient and targeted. One of the things that we're aiming to do differently is how we market to the fans. I think the days of just pepper firing TV is not possible. And listen, I'm not... <laughs> I, I'm not a wizard here. There's a lot of people way ahead <laughs> in this <laughs> in this space, but but it's really talking to the real big voices within those communities. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. People doing pre-roll and mid-roll on YouTube, or I mean, that's that's really TV advertising on a different platform. But it's how can we work with the the real ambassadors to these communities. Uh, and community leaders. I remember a buddy of mine being hugely into Elvis as we were growing up. And he was seen as like the England Elvis fan club ambassador. <laughs> and, and it's, 
And that's what you look for now. It's like if you wanted to talk to someone who could reach all of the other Elvis fans, you sent him something to influence the rest. Nothing's new, but it, it's just on a different platform and it's in a different way to communicate. And what I love about it is what the new paradigm seems to be is to keep the kid and the kid's experience at the center of everything you're doing. And, and that's something that I believe is elemental and essential for healthy play. So I'm very fortunate to surround myself with smart people that are looking at these new platforms and talking to, to young people all the time to spot trends, to see what's coming. We don't want to sign or get on the journey of something when it's already hot as hell. We want to spot it on the up and see how we can help. And, and honestly, that might be that there isn't a toy in there for us sometimes. So Darren, we're going to ask you something we ask all our guests here on the Playground Podcast. Tell us a secret. I'm going to let you into a secret too, I guess. One is a bit cheesy and the other one is... <laughs> the, the other one is just to look out for. The secret is to be nice to people. That, that's my secret in this business, is just be nice to people. We, we have a thing in our household of, does it bring you joy? Does it bring you happiness? If it doesn't, it's not allowed near us or it's not allowed near our family because... We want to have a positive influence and um, environment around our kids growing up. So be, be nice um, is the first one. And the second one is we've got some fun stuff that we're going to announce in May for Toikido. And it's, it will be another part of our journey as a business that will separate us from other people in our space. Um, it's a fairly unique offering that we're going to bring in and, and I'll, I'll send it to you guys first. So Darren, if people want to know more about Toikido and Among Us, how did they get in touch with you, find out more? And how did you come up with that name? <laughs> so so Toikido, uh, you can go onto our website. So it's T-O-I-K-I-D-O.com. I mean, it's a blend of toy and kid, right. but it, we really wanted it to sound or lean into a, a, an Asian Japanese culture. Pokemon gave me my lift into this industry. Uh, I paid off my student debts <laughs> with, with, with four kids stock. Um, and my kids are obsessed with any anime or um, games that come out of Japan. Pre-lockdown, we, we, we were booked to go and we were booked to see Mario, the new Mario world and so we, we'll get there with them. We'll get there with them. For Among Us, their community is the, the best in the world. So if you have a look at Twitter and follow Victoria, who, who runs their community page, what I love about them is they tell their community first what is happening. So normally, obviously, there'd be press releases for IP. I find out about stuff when their community finds out about stuff. Uh -huh. and, it sh and it should be that way. Yeah, it really. And I, and I, yes, we we can be slightly behind and we might have to catch up with some of our development or change it mid development. Um, but I love that we're all on the same journey together. I think that's really cool. Well, Darren Garnham, thank you so much. There is a lot of newness, a lot of excitement and a lot of fun coming out of Toikido. And you're certainly a lot of fun. We've certainly appreciated <laughs> talking you. to you. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, guys. I really, really appreciate it. Enjoyed it very much. And this is the Playground Podcast. We'll be right back with the end cap. 
Are you a creator or inventor looking to place your toy concept? Zuru welcomes concept submissions for review and potential licensing. Zuru's exceptional manufacturing, distribution, design, marketing, and operations, and their team of world-class toy professionals have made the company an industry powerhouse on a global scale. Start a conversation about creating a partnership that can turn your brainstorms into brands. Email inventors at Zuru.com and put from the Playground Podcast in the subject line. And now we come to the part of the show that we call the end cap, where Richard and I talk about issues that are top of mind in the toy industry right now. And one that we are hearing a lot about is sustainability. And it's a challenging one for the toy industry because we are a plastics and petroleum based industry. And yet, especially for Gen Z, sustainability is going to be a real determining factor on what companies people do business with. Richard, what are you thinking about this? Well, I think, first of all, Chris, is a, a challenge with sustainability. Is It's not an exciting topic. It's an important topic. It's not exciting. The, the, even the word sustain is not an active word. Right. It, it's maintaining. You know, it's retaining. It's, it's, it's not dynamic. Yet, we are all faced, and the toy industry in particular is faced, with the question of how do we keep these plastics that just don't want to go away out of the ecosystem. And children are very concerned about this. Uh, Younger parents are very concerned about this. And we need to be concerned about this. There's been a lot of great movement from the toy industry. There have been things like more recyclable packaging, using paper-based ties rather than plastic strips to hold toys into packages. McDonald's with the Happy Meals have come out with a paper-based Happy Meal toy. So I do think that there is an acknowledgement of how much plastic we're using. But I also think that consumers are becoming more educated. They know that not all plastics are recyclable. They know that when they are buying things, that they are really looking for responsible companies. And I do think companies like Mattel and Hasbro have certainly been at the forefront of this. Uh, Walmart as well, in terms of asking for recyclable packaging. So I do think it's something that the toy industry is going to continue to be paying attention to as we move forward. I'd like to say there's there's two kind of toys. There's legacy toys, which are sustainable and are passed down generation to generation. And then there are landfill toys that very quickly end up Uh, in the trash. And if you really want to keep plastics out of the ecosystem, you you create toys that people want to keep that can be passed down sibling to sibling and generation to generation. The United States is not the only country in the world which has a problem with uh, disposable toys, but uh, there are countries in the world, Germany, France, in which a toy is an investment. And they are prepared to pay more and have fewer toys that are going to last. My crystal ball is not always completely reliable, but... Is it plastic? (laughs) My my crystal ball is not always reliable, but I do think that consumer sentiment and what consumers are looking for is going to shape things moving forward. We've had a huge run now with a lot of collectibles, a lot of small toys, a lot of plastic, a lot of wrapping... And that's been some of the hottest toys in the toy industry for the past couple of years. But 
as we move into more awareness of sustainability, I think parents are going to be concerned about toys that create a lot of garbage as you unbox them and don't necessarily add to the longer term play. I think also some of this is going to self-correct. You know, the the move to e-commerce has meant that the package has become far less important. And companies like Amazon and encourage manufacturers to use plain brown boxes because the selling point on the line is digital. It, you know, the box doesn't have to dance, so to speak. Right. And it's good for everybody because... Packaging is a non-value-added cost to the consumer. You know, there's, there's no big benefit there. So I, I think we're going to see probably the importance of packaging as a showpiece decline and that it become more functional. And as you said, uh, in becoming more functional, uh, finding ways to cut out the, the amount of plastic elements or non-sustainable elements. I'm just going to play devil's advocate with you for one moment on this because rather than making packages that look like they came from the gulag to sit on (laughs) on toy shelves, where the innovation has been happening is having the play start with the package. So something like Present Pets from Spin Master last year, big hit. It's actually a toy that unboxes itself. And certainly with LOL Surprise, the whole process is unwrapping the toy. So even if you buy that online, you're still getting the package. So I think that, as always, the toy industry is going to continue to transition, and it's going to respond to the marketplace. I don't see that as devilish, sir. (laughs) But I, I think you're right. I think there's just a lot of directions we're going to be going in in terms of packaging. But whatever happens consumers, particularly young parents and their kids, sustainability is important to them. And we as an industry uh, will do well to pay attention to that. I think so. And it's, I think it's going to be a little bit like smoking, which is kids were, kids were so educated about the dangers of smoking that they began to nag their parents. And, you know, daddy, I don't want you to cough or die or whatever. It's really going to be a movement from the younger age demanding of the older age. And so sustainability is something I know that all the major toy companies are looking at, and it's just going to keep going. We're going to keep going. As you say, we're sustainable (laughs) at this point. This is the Playground Podcast with me, Chris Byrne, and my co-host and cohort, Richard Gottlieb. And we are brought to you by Global Toy Experts, the toy guy, marketing and media agency, Chizcom, and Precise.tv. And we will see you next time.